coming to you live from the bug planet. It's Feature, please. A heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. Sometimes taking a gooey shot to the face is all it needs to fall in love. I'm your co-host, Peter. Well, you did warn me. <laughs> yeah, she had a good one. You, you weren't lying, man. I, I got something to say here before we get into okay. this episode. I want to say that you're a piece of shit and an asshole. And that... <laughs> yeah, true, but please elaborate. <laughs> you turning me on to this David Grush guy, what, three weeks ago? Maybe four weeks ago at this point? Yeah, that was a while ago. The, the rabbit hole I've gone down to and here, fucking July 7th, 2023, <sighs> I find myself a full-blown... UFO conspiracy douchebag. <laughs> I'm about to have to do like a fucking social media update and say, by the way, I, I believe in UFOs now. I have downloaded so many goofy, low budget documentaries, these YouTube clips. Oh, your algorithm is tainted forever now. Not, it's not even the fucking like the algorithm's trying to keep me from it, man. I'm sitting there bonding with my sister over lights she saw off North Myrtle Beach oh, wow. two weeks ago and got like cell footage on and um, it's fucking wild man I, I don't know we might have to do a special UFO conspiracy theory <laughs> podcast uh, episode here there'll be an audience for it I'll guarantee you that I did not think that it would gr- you know it's always been like one of those things like oh uh, fun conspiracy theories are like yetis and chupacabras and whatever it's just like fun mothman just like i know this is pure bullshit and it's just recreational listening versus like watching these documentaries now or listening to podcasts like i'm actually going to glean part of a larger truth and and that there's going to be some sort of resolution and big revelation down the road like i'm disgusted with myself and i blame you i'm glad I could curse you with knowledge. Nothing makes me happier than causing other people pain. So uh, thank you for this gift you've Mm -hmm. given me. Mm -hmm. I did want to take time to actually shout out a fan real quick. Um, I'm going to call him French Matt because his name is Matt and he's French. I don't know if him finding the podcast was pure chance. Actually, no, I take that back. I asked and it was just he was watching Enterprise and wanted to see if anyone else was reviewing it. And lo and behold, he found us, but didn't know that we had done Voyager and watched our entire back catalog, apparently in a matter of a couple months, which I don't understand how people do it, but God bless you. I believe Paris was in a shelter in place uh, phase there for a minute. So he might have had <laughs> it's some, like, yeah, I went from all hands. of the rioters by listening to your favorite Enterprise podcast. And that's what you do. That's how yeah. you keep the rioters away is you put the Star Trek podcast on, you turn yeah, it up see. and people stay the fuck away from your house. Also keeps door to door solicitors away. Uh, but, he, you know, French Matt, thank you uh, very much for letting us know that you binged us that hard. Um, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're listening. Uh, and when we were kind of discussing old episodes with him, because, you know, it was all fresh in his mind, um, we had a. Where are you having this conversation at? We have a chat in Facebook for the Facebook chat. group. What? Yes, Admiral's chat. 
which you anyone in the Facebook group too can boomer join. for me, man. I can't. There, there's a there's a limit to how far I'm willing to indulge Facebook. All right. Listen, I because I'm a boomer, I just want to indulge Facebook. It's I, not because it's the best, but it's because of what I know. Although I have managed to start using Discord more, you know, little. I joined 2015 just in time, mm. uh, but uh, Amanda was trying to figure out an episode where you said something very specific because there's a, a quote that she's trying to find where you said it, which was fuck you for trying. I remember you saying it. Yeah, right? I remember saying it. That was a yeah. season one recap, wasn't it? Was it season one recap? Because we were all trying to figure out which one it was. Because I also remember you saying it. I forget what the context was, but very clearly remember you saying it. <laughs> and, you know, we're going through different episodes and I was like, was it this one? And I I, I mentioned the one uh, space terrorist casual from season seven, which was the last time they ever mentioned anything about the Maquis really yeah. mattering on the show. Because they all yeah. got like reverse brainwashed by Tuvok because of some Bajoran, whatever. It doesn't matter. And that wasn't it. But. Amanda listened to it and said, it was season seven, so you're in full callback mode. In this single episode, you guys referenced the following. One small step, Alice, by accusing someone of trash bagging. Phage, <laughs> lungs got stolen. Space friendship is magic. Far- Fairhaven, Unimatrix Zero, investigations, Detective Neelix. Ex post facto, random thoughts, worst case scenario, meld, killing game, and Equinox. Like, in that one episode, we reference all of that. So... I bring that up to say this show is fucking impenetrable to new people. So if you're finding us, if you're like listening to us, you're coming along on this ride. God bless America. I can't believe you can do it, but I'm glad you're He's doing it. He's from France, though. It's, it's, the statement stands, Peter. <laughs> okay? Statement stands. Yeah. All right. Casual casual uh, disregard for other people's nations is just part of who we are. I think about Voyager and I think about the joy that it would bring to discuss the previous episodes. And I just I don't feel that coming out of Enterprise. Yeah, I agree. Uh, We're deep in Enterprise now, right? We're in the back half of season three, which is ridiculous to say that we're we're only in season three and that we're somehow deep in this. Like Mm Voyager is just getting started. I mean, seven's just coming on at this point, right? Not yeah, Not even really. You know, they're getting into the Borg content, finally. The, the Morg. Serve as the way to... The Morg. Okay. They're harmless, uh, well-meaning cousins. I, I agree. There's something about Voyager that was eminently uh, more enjoyable than Enterprise has been. Well, Not to say Enterprise something... hasn't been interesting and hasn't had some <sighs> content that's worth that's been worth discussing and some fun times making fun of it. But, yeah, I it's like... I get why no one has like that sort of retro fondness for it. I want to circle. And that's funny you say retro fondness because Voyager uh, had a very bad reputation as being like the stepchild of Berman era Trek. And that was kind of the thesis of Voyager going in is like, why is this? the? What, how would you put the unloved stepchild? Yes, the unloved stepchild. And when we finally wrap season four and do our series rip for enterprise revisiting this topic where I would say that the overall episode quality has been distinctly better than the majority of Voyager. Uh, but it has not been memorable and it has not been for the most part worthy of 
of rediscussion. Like, I, I don't want to say it's been shallow episodes, but where we could sit there and watch shit in Voyager be like, oh, hey, here's this stuff. And again, for an, a, a series that did that refused to have continuity with itself, right? Yeah. There was so much continuity we would bring with us and say, well, what about this? And what about that? Enterprise, everything matters. Every episode gets discussed over again within the universe of Enterprise. Uh, but still, like, it's it's hard to find that. Or maybe those are feelings and discussions we could have with Voyager because we were seven seasons in and there was that much back catalog of stuff to discuss. Whereas ultimately, uh, you're getting four episodes, I'm sorry, four seasons out of Enterprise. And uh, from what I'm seeing, there's two shows there. There's season one, season two, goofy space adventures, season three, gritty uh, military reboot and then whatever the fuck season four is going to be. Yeah. Season four, which is actually an episode, a season of star Trek. <laughs> like, to a certain extent, season three almost does seem agnostic of season one and two specifically in trip to Paul romance. And also in terms of, uh, you know, there's been some sciency themes and exploration things that just should be discussed in some of the episodes we've encountered in season three, but do not happen like they're just like that's the old show we don't talk about that stuff and i i guess maybe it's good that we've saved ds9 for last in a weird way you know like we've we've saved the show you haven't seen that sort of captures the best of both worlds in a way that um makes it so uh cultishly beloved i think by by berman era trek nerds True. Uh, we may have accidentally found the right formula for rewatching this stuff but before we can rewatch anything else we've got to keep trucking along in the terminus systems what did we watch this week peter we're moving into hatchery this is episode uh 17 of season three first aired february 25th 2004 this is a teleplay by andre baramis who just brought us what piece of shit did we say he pulled out of the toilet it was a Voyager script that was uh, should have never seen the light of day. Let's see. Uh, we had for Andre Baramis, Silent Enemy, Desert Crossing, The Communicator. It's season the, three. The Crossing, Horizon, and then Extinction. Extinction it was Extinction. Is his, extinction is his fault. <laughs> Which one was that? That one was, that was the that, one where we, I think you scrubbed that skit we did where uh, they're having the party celebrating. And then Andre comes in and says, I got the toilet unclogged. <laughs> I found this script. <laughs> was that extinction? Yeah, that was the one where, you know, they t- mutate into people from that planet. Oh, the dinosaur people. Dinosaur obviously. people. Yeah. Trash. Uh, story. But so Andre Baramis was story and teleplay. Interesting um, story. Andre Baramis and Michael Sussman. Directed by Michael Grossman, who I don't think we've seen before, because this is his first one. It's going to be Hatchery, The Forge, and Affliction. That was his uh, Ed Hardy. You read the the prelude, or you know whatever the little capsule intro was last episode, and that was Enterprise finds a derelict Zindi insectoid starship carrying a cache of unhatched eggs, and Archer takes an increasingly obsessive interest in preserving them. I thought it sounded interesting. And what I wanted was a story arc where Archer was under an alien influence to do 
what he does. And that's certainly what we got here. And yeah. having seen it, what was your impression? I recall from our discussion last week, I was very interested to see if you enjoyed this or not, because you kind of like dialed in what you wanted out of it. And I knew that that's what you're going to get in a certain respect. My focus on rewatching it was thinking from the perspective of if I didn't know what was going to happen, how would this play? Right? Like, do they do enough in the first half to make you believe Archer's acting entirely rationally such that as the devolution happens, it comes as something of a surprise, or at least you kind of don't know where it's going. I felt like it was successful in that regard in that up through the first 20 to 25 minutes, Archer's actions seem reasonable enough, especially for the way Archer has been presented in the past, which is to say he makes him pretty like out there, perhaps even irrational decisions that ultimately, you know, have to be correct because it's the protagonist that you could buy the idea that he really wants to preserve these Zindi insectoids to, you know, prove a, a point about humanity. And then the unraveling starts in a way that makes a lot of sense buys you into the idea that the rest of the staff is not accepting what Archer is doing. And they have every reason to believe he's acting irrationally. And that the one, the, the, the damn dynamic I like the most was that the Makos who are a bunch of hard ass Marines who only know how to follow orders and know nothing about weird space shit. Don't even take that into account and do whatever the boss tells them to. And they have to have to mutiny against the Makos and prove in doing so that like you're, they're good at fighting, but they're not good at like understanding that space is weird. Overall, I felt like it worked. I think that this was a really good borderline. Great episode. I think that this fit perfectly into the Zindi story arc. I think this is a great time waster episode where it's a fluff. There's not major uh, meta plot developments and it's just, you know, goofy shit happening along the way connecting the bigger stories together makes those indian sectoids seem very alien you know in a way that's interesting uh yes and no uh and we'll get it that's mostly in the portrayal of their starship which is of course just a limit of the budget of enterprise especially for a fluff piece um and I think it does a good job subverting expectations and playing Star Trek tropes against itself. Yeah. Which is specifically the central theme that a good Starfleet captain will invite extreme risk uh, in the end justification of being a good guy. And particularly at the beginning, I feel like that is very well sold, right? Like Archer's rationale for we're going to preserve the lives of these children, hatch, these children, and even like makes the case like if there were 30 uh, Zindi primate children down there, would you want to just set a torch to them? I don't think you would, right? Like th that line super works, right? Like he yeah. calls Trip a space rapist. <laughs> 
space rapist. No, I mean he got space very raped. different. He got. I, I think uh, he's actually been sexually assaulted himself far more than he he has done any assault himself. It's absolutely. Um. So where we pick up in this episode is the always awkward recap. Previously on Enterprise, I was very interested to see that Twilight was featured as heavily as it was for it being a alternate reality that doesn't happen. I think it was there to remind the audience of these stakes of failure. I think it's there because they want to, again, maximize the uh, return of investment of those special effects and also just show, you know, Trip looking weathered and grizzled with his ripped up uniform. Uh they skip completely over the sleep episode. We just got, you know, one or whatever. No, one was the Voyager version. Doctor's orders. Correct. But then they f- heavily focus on the uh, Hayes Reed fight, which. Again, is going to be specifically because they draw so heavy on that in the episode of exploring this antagonistic relationship between them. Which is a weak planet. I, would, I need to just start skipping through these recaps because I really feel like it takes away from the review. Uh, but what happens is Enterprise is zipping along over to that red binary where they expect to find the Zindi super weapon with the information that they uh, escape room LARPed out of. Uh, what's his name? Dobrin? Dobby? Degra. Degra. And do they catch a distress signal or do they just find some reason to drop out of warp and investigate. I, I they never explain why they dropped out of warp and found this merely that they had. And the thing they find is a crashed Zindi spaceship. It is now, a, the last time they took a pit stop was to investigate the space blob and the little time capsule floating around in there yeah, where the they found a guy. Man. Yeah. Who, would go on to try to like go binary and punch the warp core. Yes, that's and true. almost blow the fucking ship up. Having learned nothing from that experience, they decide to investigate more. They do a good job though of providing a fair amount of treasure that they find uh, from this ship, and that's all you need, right? Yeah, the Sandra Baramus for as much of a fucking piece of trash as Extinction was. All the nutty shit that happens in this episode, starting with their decision to stick around and investigate, all has a solid enough bridge to suspend disbelief and give the crew uh, viewer credit as to why this would happen. They're in a war. The insectoids are the most motherfucker of all these motherfuckers. So, hey, they ran hot dick all over us in a couple of fights we had. Investigating their technology seems like a pretty good idea. Yeah, yeah. let's go get down. Get their shuttlecraft, get their particle weapons, get their torpedoes, get their database, find out how they fight. I mean, we're literally about to, the hot drop right onto where they're building their super weapons. So this shit's going to come in real handy. Like the the treasure is well developed and makes the pet stop worth it. They go down to this thing. They're in the EV suits. I did know lots the, of EV suits. The Mako EV suits are though are clearly cheaper. Cause there's no like front panel. 
the same way there is on the the ones they've had from the beginning of the show. They have a they're, lot of girls and they're trying to show it off. All right. Yeah. The more layers of fabric. I'm so I'm surprised that to Paul doesn't have like a special Vulcan uh, EV suit. That's just like saran wrap with no clothing underneath. <laughs> the, the the Mako women are definitely stacked. I, I guess we, we got the best example of that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and they get down into this thing. They see the dead Zindi insectoid bodies and ultimately find a hatchery room with their eggs. So budget constraints. The Zindi represent the most alien aliens like these Zorak motherfuckers, right? They're mm-hmm. the most alien aliens that we have seen in Star Trek since Species 8472. Yes, agreed. Uh, they are not humanoids, and that is a big deal because there should be a lot of that, and there's not really much of it. So the fact that they're reusing the set piece, which I believe was the uh, Vulcan ship from Resident Evil. What was that called? No, actually, apparently the the room that they use for the um, the hatchery. The hatchery, is- maybe, but I'm saying the hallway of, of the, the oh, ship yeah. itself, I'm pretty sure that's the same quarter that they're like shooting Vulcan zombies. They, they use that. It's it's basically the Cardassian hallway of Enterprise because it's basically it every generic alien hallway. It was the Horizon hallway also. Yeah. Which it's going to be uh, the hallway of some other ships here coming up in a couple episodes. You know, talking about callbacks and shit like I miss Cardassian hallway. I wish this dungeon hallway that we're talking about like had the visual footprint of Cardassian hallway where I could get excited about seeing that fucking thing. It just, it doesn't. But if this was a big budget production, something where the doors are on the ceiling, like there's an expectation that these bugs are going to be crawling along the ceiling instead of it being man, humans, humanoid sized man doors and humanized sized man hallways like, the budget did not allow them to do production design in a clearly alien way because it would have been a bitch to film it. It would have been a bitch to build it. And so they limited it to essentially what ends up being the, the physical effects on the eggs and some some crappy PS2 CG later on. But the room that's the the hatchery is actually a reuse of the stellar cartography room from Next Generation, i.e. the place where Picard's girlfriend worked. In that episode when he was getting laid while doing flutes in the Jeffrey's tubes. Yeah, his Jeffrey tube date. Yeah. God, yeah, what that, was her name? Uh, Commander Mrs. Robinson. I don't know. <laughs> like Commander. I, it was. I love that episode of TNG, if only for one scene when after Picard is like, you know, successfully uh, um, docked his shuttlecraft. Um, he's like comes from his ready room and he's like walking up to Riker and he's like super I got that I got late energy and he like snaps his fingers and like bot, you know like hits him in the chest and be like you have the con I'm out of here <laughs> like it's like the most casual that you ever see him and then he like leaves and the rest of the crew is like clearly an alien influence <laughs> the captain in his talons <laughs> red alert where are the oh, Borg? This is not okay. So they're exploring. Um, life support's gone on this thing. They get into the hatchery, however. 
uh, and there's like this antechamber. And in there, Reed determines that, oh, hey, this thing's pressurized. There's an atmosphere. And if we're going to levy one criticism on this episode, it's going to happen right here. Uh, and this is the same criticism that one could levy on, oh, I don't know, Promethean. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking, of course, about the alien shuttle falling on them when they could have simply ran left or right. <laughs> but we're going to go to the, the beginning of all this, and it's the decision to take a fucking helmet off. That's also going to be my Starfleet SOP entry on this. Mm-hmm. Don't take your uh, fucking Starfleet, helmet off. Yeah, Starfleet yeah. protocol. Keep your fucking helmet on when you're in a hostile environment, regardless of what you think is or is not still alive. I know that the reason why they do this is because actors want to have their face on screen. I get it. They want it. They want it on there. They're actors. They got egos. They don't want to be in the fucking suit. It sucks. It's claustrophobic. They don't want to do the whole goddamn episode. They barely want to do a scene in it. So you find a way so they can take their fucking helmets off so that everything's easier and their faces are on screen. Well, give me something better than, well, there's an atmosphere now. Might as well just take them off. Like, you guys are in a hostile spacecraft in an otherwise giant vacuum of a planet. You keep that shit on. I could. You know, for this one, they, they take the helmets off because if they don't take the helmets off, Archer can't get sprayed in the face and go crazy. That face gear can't be in there. So either you have a uh, a, a low you, you have a sustainable environment going in where you're like cool you know there is an atmosphere in there and everybody just starved to death or maybe it got to so- something you can fix remotely yeah or just have them stand there like okay repressurized uh it's breathable i really hate these fucking helmets starfleet needs to redesign these things uh captain if you don't mind i'm gonna take this off because it sucks uh yeah sure go ahead and roll those dice oh that's fine and then everybody else being like these helmets suck. I'm going to take them off. Like it can be even something that simple. Give me a reason why they do it. This is the weakest bridge. We got to walk across to make this plot happen. I'm happy to do it because the rest of it works for me. They get it off. They start exploring the hatchery sparsely populated. Like this thing really should have been like a pulsing thriving hive. I think not look like the produce market at Kroger where everything's just a bushel here, a bushel there. It looks more like porch decorations for an indoor porch than it does an alien hatchery. Yeah, it's basically just some little egg sacks attached here and there. Not a lot of quantity. But as noted, one of the eggs after Archer is given orders, sprays them. Give him a little it, facial, a little he, money shot to the old Archer, to the old goes, money maker. He goes back up to... Enterprise flocks checks him out and goes, oh, it's just a defense mechanism of the eggs. You know, it's this little little Bernie action here. I've got you and, and put some Vaseline up. on there. And you know, another like, strong entry into flocks was catastrophically wrong. Yeah, he, you know, he's running in new space diseases left and right. I'm not counting it against him. He does not like, either. And, you know, whereas. Tuvok being wrong all the time with his security decisions uh, was easy to condemn him. Flock's getting faked out and juked 
I think uh, works much better. And I don't know why that is. I think because he's very open to the fact that, like, I don't know. <laughs> like, this is some real unknown shit we're doing right now. Is that going to work? Beats me. Let's go. <laughs> Flox, you said you have all these degrees. Well, I lied. Actually, <laughs> I am a cook. I'm I just stayed really at the Holiday here. Inn Express last night. That's the only <laughs> reason. <laughs> I can do space medicine. I don't even know how to dress up Leola Root. All I can do is <laughs> just microwave stuff. He gets uh, Archer gets sent back up before Archer departs. He tells Trip, not Trip. He tells Reed, grab the cadavers, bring them back up. Tell Flocks I want full autopsies on them. So we get the scene while Archer is in sick bay, where one of the shuttle pods is flying back up. You got Reed flying it. He's in there with Hayes. There's two body bags in the back. They hit at some space turbulence. One of them falls over and reads like, hey, you should secure our friends a little bit better. Uh, Hayes straps a thing down, pulls his gun out. Oh, yeah. His sidearm and sits down. And right there, I'm like, all right, Hayes wins fucking MVP maybe of the season, <laughs> right? Yes. This yes. is a dude uh, who does not have his head up his own ass. And I guess it's really kind of a shock that this dude has a level of self-awareness that like maybe these bugs are going to wake up from their hibernation phase of being in deep space, you know, exposed to the colds of dead space. And I might have to get in close quarter combat, yet he can't see Archer acting crazy. And I, I think it's explainable that him sitting there with a gun on two dead things waiting for Resident Evil go down <laughs> a plus also too, yes. like. He could have been like, uh, you know, I don't think you have to worry about our friends. They're like, did you miss the starship full of undead Vulcans? <laughs> you were there. You were there, Reed. My dude you shot got, a lot of them. My dude got hit in the shoulder with a tomahawk. Like, <laughs> and survived. Somehow he made it out. I'm not sure how that happened. His but. bad acting created a bubble of disbelief around him that saw him through. Yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing, man. Like seeing major Hayes cautious enough to strap the bodies down and then pull his sidearm, which is a, a reuse of that awesome plasma glass plasma gun that they used in the pilot and never used mm -hmm. again. So I'm, I'm glad they keep finding a reason to get that thing on screen. You know what the badass. good guy, the, the good badasses get the cool guns and then the fucking Starfleet gets these balloon looking water squirters. Yeah, like the it makes sense that the Mako's guns look like actual guns, you know, or are painted on top of guns. Because I'm pretty sure, and this is my inner gun nerd, I'm pretty sure that the EM pistol, which is what Hayes's gun is, is based on a CZ-75, specifically the uh, Italian copy. So um, I'm sure someone out there might have figured it out, but it looks like that's what they built the prop on top of because it's got this... The, the way that the grip and the uh, the safety, you can kind of see the safety on it. And anyway, um, I'm just I'm just happy they found a way to use it I just like and that it was on screen a lot. They're very proud of that prop. They really regret not being able to use it. <laughs> Things not to be proud of in this episode is the CG. I'm talking about the ship. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the hatchery within the hangar. Accurate. I'm talking about the insectoids out Double plus, under yes. 
uh, fluorescent lighting. All of it looks terrible, and I, I almost feel like they would have been better off just making a big rubber or foam puppet of the insectoid instead of this. I, I really feel like they go back to the, the, the graphical awfulness of Species 8472 the first time they encounter them. It's miserable. Yeah, the Cindy yeah, insectoids are barely better than Species 8472. It looks like they're rendered at like 640 by 800. Yeah, it's it is really, really rough. I did like there. that the hatchery was a ship within the ship. And it was like almost just built with like this central idea of redundancy and additional security and safety, which makes sense. Yeah, especially because the insectoids, as we find out, don't live more than a dozen years. So they're very into making sure their offspring survive. Like we get great content about like the idea of an insectoid sentient species, right? Short lifespans, aggressive nature, 12 years, I believe is yeah, there potential life? asexual reproduction. So there's not even genders, you know, just cool content. These guys are fucking weird. And the, the plot starts to develop from here, which is Archer starts giving orders that reflects a need to save the hatchlings. And as mentioned before, at first it is delivered in a straight Star Trek fashion with the sort of compassion of the Starfleet ideal being manifest. Uh, Archer rings a great point when Trip is like, fuck them. <laughs> like, are you kidding? I should, we should go down there and just murder them before we leave, let alone save their lives. These, these people are trying to kill us. And Archer fighting against that and saying, let's prove we're better than that. I could totally see him saying that. And I can see jives, him doing this shit. It jives with whatever the episode was where he met Garlic and has Hayes install the blast suppressor. So even after they blow the facility up, it's not going to harm the uh, workforce, right? Right. This yeah. is a theme of Archer saying they condemned us without knowing us. Let's show them that we have compassion. Let's give them a reason to doubt their convictions to kill us. And this is Star Trek 101. So, yeah. Trip, we're going to hang out here. Also, not only are we going to save the children, we're going to study their technology. I want you to get that fighter. I want you to pull it out of their hangar bay and, like, tow truck it up to Enterprise. I want you to figure out how it works. Tell me how their guns work. I want to know if there's uh, biological weaknesses. That's why we're doing this uh, uh, autopsy. I want a better look at their weapons before they blow up. Yeah, and it, all of this content makes Archer's desire to preserve the lives of the Zindi uh, hatchlings much more sensible, right? We're not taking a breather. We're not giving them combat. We're going to do this for these innocents. But at the same time, we're going to level up all of our other skills so that we're ready when we fight the Zindi the best we can. We're still going to get there. I like how he keeps saying our mission is of the utmost or the mission is of the utmost importance. Uh, and you'll come to realize by the end of it, the mission he's talking about is saving the hatchlings lives. But everybody is just kind of like the mission is to save Earth from the Death Star that these guys are making. Uh, and again, it's riding the the Star Trek tropes 
to disguise the craziness underneath it. And normally when we have an alien influence hit a Starfleet officer, it becomes self-evident real clear. But this one, again, A plus for them hiding the ultimate motivation behind well-established temple Starfleet ideals. So uh, Archer is burning the candle at both ends. He is personally involved in the repair efforts. He's not eating. He's not sleeping. He's just in this hatchery getting increasingly filthy. <laughs> there must have been a, a uniform that got some grape juice spilled on it or some marinara sauce. So they just couldn't get the stain out. And they're like, fuck it. This is going to be like the dirty uniform. Yeah, and, and this apparently specific costume was literally eventually called the goop costume and was auctioned off separately. <laughs> By the way. This yeah. Wikipedia, this memory alpha article sucks. There is one, two, three, four, five, about six bullet points. I'm going to say there's 10 lines of background information, and that is it. I thought this was a pretty great episode. So the fact there's so little behind the scenes is really a shame, I thought. Uh, there's more examples of budget cuts. I posted that picture on the trauma support group of them using like Home Depot kitchen accent lighting yes they That's did like, <laughs> you talk about low budget man nothing quite like pulling stuff off the rack at home depot and putting on your television show that's supposed to be taking place in the future eventually archer starts crossing into crazy town uh and this is going to take form in the decision that to save the hatchery, we're going to need to reestablish system support. But because of the way all of this technology works, you can't just target the life support. You've got to get all of it reactivated. And that's going to cost us antimatter. And he's willing to invest, what, a third of Enterprise's total antimatter reserves into saving this hatchery. And that is certainly where the episode starts to make the turn into the viewer, like having that record scratch moment of like, eh, that doesn't seem right. Doesn't seem like necessarily super justifiable. And of course, your your clearest indication of that is when the decision is being discussed between T'Pol and and Trip. T'Pol makes the call of like, do not send the antimatter. I'm going to go down there and have a conversation with the man because this seems wild. When does he, when does trip have to, uh, basically set Reed and Mayweather straight? Is it before or after she gets, um, before when they, they have the discussion in the mess hall where before it gets weird and trip like super defends it. Well, that's after I want to say, Trip kind of goes, you know, basically, fuck these guys. They they killed us and we shouldn't care about them. Correct. And Archer's like, we're going to do the right thing. And also reinforced, like, you know, we're going into hostile territory. Would understanding how their guns and propulsion work and having a little bit of an advantage be that bad? Like, there's there's a lot to do here. Is this where he drops the eugenic wars quote? He, he does that later, if I recall. Okay, we'll get to that. So. Yeah. He does Reed, that near the end of the episode, actually. Reed and Mayweather are like, this is crazy. Uh, we're putting too much resources into that. Uh, Trip has to make that call where even though he's got a lot of his own self-doubts, 
he plays the role of good soldier and is like, Captain made a decision. It's not your place to, to question it. Here's alternative or ulterior motives. It's not just saving the children. It's aforementioned weapons, research, propulsion, research. Knock it out because you guys are talking a little bit along the lines of uh, mutiny flavor. And we're not going to do that. Not to Jonathan Archer, who apparently has leadership times, too, if I'm to believe the fucking decipher trading card game that they posted the pictures of the enterprise those are the most bullshit cards i've ever seen <laughs> yeah they give like read integrity like six or something like that that makes no sense there is nothing spectacular that i have seen out of this with the exception of read and his prodigy level intelligence no i'm come around to trip being an engineering genius i think and honestly i think maybe last week was the the best example of that merely in that the techno babble was so well done as to really present how difficult Tripp's job is. He has to be a theoretical warp physicist while also being able to like have practical skills at the same time to make the engine work. Cause it's an unstable and experimental piece of technology that breaks the laws of physics. I, I like that. I like that a lot. And I think it helps me think like he's yes. special. Trip is busy doing black space math. Yes. <laughs> that yeah. that's why he's not doing more interesting uh he even says like I can't be the second in command of this vessel. I'm too busy making sure the engines don't blow up. Sure. Um anyways, he calms that down. Hey, captain's made the decision. There's a lot of archer like this isn't up for discussion. I'm telling you what to do. Now get to fucking work, which we don't really do we see that a lot. Janeway was pretty unilateral in her decision making process. Like she. I don't know. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think I do. I think I do. I would say she was two thirds unilateral, one third. I'm going to talk to Chakotay or have like staff meetings about it. I think she was kind of acting on her own initiative more than anything. Yeah. I think Picard was more of a consensus builder. I think all the captains tend to be a bit of a consensus builder aside. I guess Archer is, is the example of someone who ends up being much more unilateral. But um, when I think of Picard, when I think of Janeway, tons of staff meetings, tons of consensus there. Well, that's the easy, cheap, yet really good Star Trek meat on the bone. And that's, how do these characters that we know very well interact when discussing the space dilemma of the week? But I feel like Janeway had this, uh, she put her shields up, you know, use the mommy voice and this is what we're going to do. Uh, again, two thirds of the time. And the other third was like, Chakotay, I need you with me on this. Or, you know, Catherine, I think you should do that. And then she would come around I, again. I think, my my gut instinct is that Picard or maybe it was just that the senior staff would arrive at the same decision at the same time. And it wasn't like one person having to make the this is what we're going to do. Regardless, yeah, the the episode continues in that T'Pol goes down there. Says this is Mako's on duty now. Yeah, notices there's Mako's. I was like, well, that's weird says this is a terrible idea and I'm not following your orders to try and talk him out of it. Well, and even before that, the Makos are important 
because she's like, why you got armed guards? Oh, well, there's breaches to the hull and there might be dangerous local predators that are going to get on there. And she's like, that's ridiculous. It's a fucking dead planet. Like big red flag that maybe you got the space madness here. Tells Archer you are out of line and you shouldn't be doing this. Archer snaps. You're relieved of duty. Major Hayes, go confine her to quarters. So we go from zero to 60 here. Paul says, I'm not following this order. This is insane. This is madness. He's not he- hearing that and tells Hayes, lock her up. And Hayes for, has one moment of hesitation. He's like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and he's saying, you going to make me repeat it? I'm like, no, sir. All right. Uh, ma'am, would you like to come with me? Because I, I really don't want to try and force you. You could break my collarbone immediately. <laughs> and Paul, for her part, allows herself to be confined. And to be fair, to be fair, for whatever um, whatever uh, hint you're trying to put out there that Vulcans might be physically superior to humans mm-hmm. and give Hayes a run for his money, whatever threat to Paul posed to that room was completely neutralized when Archer forcefully took her by the arm and dragged her on a tour of the hatchery to, uh, you know, really uh, soapbox his humanity, throw some racism out there saying that, you know, Vulcans are savages and, and unkind. So at this point, she's been taken by the arm. And I think if push came to shove, Hayes could probably fuck her up pretty good. because She's just been completely neutralized. I point. did forget that the, the weakness of all women everywhere, that she was grabbed <laughs> on the arm and therefore became powerless. It is a real... They've got that locked in on Star Trek that that's like, mm-hmm. oh, a woman of that's been it's threatening. Just grab her right in the forearm. Yep. Oof. Gets him every time. The bicep. Uh, he will later justify this, saying that the reason she was. First of all, this is just a slap on the wrist. It's not permanent. And it's happening because she questioned him in front of the crew. Yeah, like they make you think that there's space madness. They they let it sit for a little bit because. Hayes and Reed talk about weapon tactics and Hayes comes up with a simulation that shows like, Hey Reed, if you shoot the fucking Zindi ship here and here, it'll blow them up. Reed does his usual thing of talking way too much shit about Hayes. And then like unnecessarily like, I don't have time for a game major. Like this not, it's a simulation. This is literally what the boss told us to do. I found the worst boss ever. Yeah. Like what the fuck is your problem, bro? (laughs) And so Paul, it's t- it's trip that goes to visit Paul has to get through uh, Corporal Chang, Daniel Day Kim, making making another AKA appearance. Here. Donut astronaut, aka the lead on Hawaii Five O for like mm-hmm. seven seasons, <laughs> and gets in. You know, to Paul is definitely bringing Tucker around to the captain's acting crazy. The next, the captain is then this, and this is where they shift back to trips. Like I, Hey, listen, when captain comes back up, he's changing his clothes. He seems refreshed. You know, he seems like he's feeling like himself. He's not got that crazy eye like he did when he was in the room. And that's when Archer's like, listen, there's time for, for compassion. You know, my great grandfather was in the eugenics wars 
and it's just a slap on the wrist. I can't be questioned in front of the crew. This is still the right call. And they try to buy back the crazy eye a little bit. A school full of children and the enemy commanders talking and saying, cease fire until we can evacuate the school because there's there's rules, Trip. This isn't Vietnam. So let's do some uh, space timeline math here, all right? Okay. All right. The Achilles tendon of uh, Star Trek here. Uh, what year is this? Oh, well, you do you know that they just retconned when the eugenics wars happened in Strange New Worlds? No. Yeah, they changed the timeline. That the timeline has been changed as a consequence of interference from the temporal Cold War in Strange New Worlds, and that is why things don't line up. Is because our Earth's past has been fucked with by people who don't like humanity too many times, and that that's why everyone has different memories. Be the most brilliant, sloppy, wave of the hand yeah. I have ever seen, and I don't know how the math would even go on that. But what a great way to take a schlocky, dumb, last of an era TV arc and try to use it to clean up the past 30 years of bullshit. Yeah, the the conceit is Lon is back in time. Lon Suter? No. Uh, God, if they uh, brought dis- him back in a strange new world somehow. <laughs> oh my God, that'd be amazing. I would uh, keep Paramount yeah. Plus open with just dis- my subscriptions. I should have used the correct name. Discount Drummer. Uh, uh, <laughs> Double D. Is back, is, is back in time, and there's people fucking with time to try and fuck with humanity and it's the Romulans and that we find out like so many people have been trying to kill earth in using time travel because we, we the Federation is, is so well known for hoarding bad guys <laughs> that time that, that the damage has been done and certain events have changed when they happen in our history. As a, like there, there's still scar tissue essentially in our timeline, which is why there's inconsistencies in memories and recollections, depending on what era you're in because of this, this, uh, this constant damage that's being this done by rubber time banding. Yeah. It's getting like kind You've of just up. energized me to want to watch <laughs> strange new world season two, like not just out of morbid curiosity to see if it's as bad as you've been saying. I only watched the first episode. So if it got better, I don't know. Well, I, I, listen, I, man, whatever you're talking about now is absolutely worth the effort to watch what I need. Let's see. What I need is a episode or a scene where people are in like time travel and there's coexistence of different time traveler, uh, bad actors trying to influence earth. And like some fucking Romulans. Who else would be a good candidate for fucking with Earth? Borg. Was it the Borg, the Dominion, <laughs> Romulans? Basically maybe all Romulans the, or the maybe some antagonists. Dominion. The, and, uh, and have them encounter. Vlad Goldblum's people. Uh, who are the one guys that we said that maybe Mr. Rogers turn into? That always have to wear the suits from Deep Space Nine. Oh, the Breen? The Breen. Maybe it's a Breen. Um, I don't know. I just maybe some Romulans and they're trying to like plant the bomb, but then they run across like another time traveler who's trying to do his own thing. And they get in a fight and like, no, I'm going to kill the earthlings with this. Get the fuck out of me. You get the fuck off asshole. Like what? I'm not going to fuck off. You fuck off. 
and then they shoot him with the phaser and it burns his skin off. And then like T-800 exoskeleton punches him in the fucking face and we get like some fucking Skynet nonsense in there. And it's like uh, you've got all the temporal agents who are like just trying to corral all of them together. So they kind of thunderdome with each other. Did you ever see uh, the Lemon Demon music video for the ultimate showdown of destiny well, of ultimate destiny? Yes, of course. I, I need a Borg going to do, you know, sped his sp- spread the space poison or the Zindian like flipper to shoot out and like hit one of them. And then like fucking <laughs> another guy crossing the street. But then. Uh, Knight Rider runs him over. Maybe you throw some Transformers in there. You know, as long as it's Mr. Rogers in a bloodstained sweater at the end, I think we, we've established the true canon. I mean, it, it ends up being the guys from the planet that Flocks condemned to death. So the eugenics wars thing, anyways, if this is uh, in-universe 2154, we're two generations back which I believe we were led to believe that Archer's dad survived World War III. His grandfather survived World War III. So was the eugenics war World War III? That's what they've started to do with the timeline, is to say World War III was the eugenics wars based on when they're supposed to happen within the timeline, (laughs) which is like actually somewhat of an elegant solution. It is. A bunch of genetic supermen accidentally started a nuclear holocaust that nearly destroyed the Earth. I buy it. Listen, yeah, I buy you that. Know, uh, because eugenics war and World War Three is supposed to have like you know sixty years separation between them, but if one was supposed to start in the nineties and the other, t- <laughs> correct? Yeah, sure, like it's just time dilation. It's all the same. And by that, I mean none of it actually happened. To speed run a little bit of the plot points. Since we were we're already in an hour of this, most of it's been talking about other shows. Uh, There's Reed not a lot is, of shit on this episode. I need I need other things. <laughs> Reed is in command when an insectoid scout ship shows up. He uses Hayes's advice to blow the fuck out of it. Uh, when Archer shows up in the aftermath of Reed being surprisingly effective at doing his job, he gets real mad. Because they could have talked to them. They could have found dialogue. They could have shown that they were protecting the hatchlings. They could have had them protect the hatchlings. Again, lots, lots, again, very reasonable Star Trek things being said. Yeah. And decides that Reed needs to be fired, which is the only correct decision he makes while under the influence of this alien goo. And says, you know who would be way better at your job? Major Reed. You're you're grounded. Get the fuck out of here. You're to confine the quarters and then calls up uh, Hayes, who's, you know, stands at attention and is like, I think we need military discipline. I think it's time for the Marines to be in charge. Fuck them. You're my second in command now. I'm going back down there to 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 fix this problem. Hayes is like first order of business. No more body massages. Tells uh, Daniel Daewoo. Trip comes showing up looking for a booty call out to Paul. You tell him no. It's Daniel Day Kim. Day Kim, whatever. <laughs> sorry to any Koreans in the audience. Uh, yeah. so. Sorry, sorry to any Koreans in the audience who may or may not be in. Uh, uh, was it Hawaii Five O? Yes, Hawaii Five O. Daniel Day. That I guess Kim's you probably up. only watched if you were fifty plus. How old is Daniel Day Kim? 
50 plus 54 but, hey, he might be out there watch listening to us and very offended right now so that's true and if you are listening to us daniel day kim and you are offended by by peter just don't remember it's him who did that it wasn't me i, I think you're don't, great don't sick all the hawaii you're 50 ins after us yeah makes I mean, sense all hawaii dozen of, all of those dozen fans the, that that can still walk you know don't send them <laughs> after us so the the core crew has figured out there's a problem. Uh, Trip and and Flocks try to like force Archer to come to sick bay, and and Flocks even pulls the "I can remove you from command if I have to" card, and then Archer just says, "Do you want me to have the Marines shoot you? Was <laughs> that what you would like?" And they're like, "No, we good, we good," but they've realized this is gone to a point where yes clearly space fuckery is afoot we need to regain control of the ship we need to take the makos out and we need to subdue him and we need to figure out what the fuck is going on and they start this by an ambush of of uh, daniel day kim and, and he's coming in like i need more neuro pressure my shoulders out of alignment and he's not having it and so then they execute on a perfect ambush of like grab his gun you know, hit him with the hypo spray, drag his body into uh, to Paul's quarters. Like it's like a solid snake takedown, and it's like three people mm, doing it. It's actually like uh, a quell, a uh, head a wither. withering, <laughs> like followed the, by a soul steal. Yeah, it's it's quell head wither soul steal. You're absolutely right. It's all you're missing is some marionette in there. Yeah, it's uh, it's. Reed holds the gun on him, and he gets the yeah. It's it's perfect. They drag real him in. effective. I got a lot of people with that one. <laughs> Listen, you were you rolled with the shit hot coterie uh, that could pull Listen, that trick. I, yeah. I had to make do with bare knives and uh, deals with, with the devil, and bear skins, and deals with Satan, uh, which led to me getting married. So not yeah. so bad. That worked out for me. The Conversation I have with Paul is we can head down to the armory. We can take out the Marines that are down there. Guys down there are on our side. We'll arm up and then we'll storm the bridge. There's not that many Makos on the ship. It kind of makes sense that they can brute force it as long as they have surprise. An important part before you quell someone is to have surprise. Yeah. And they start by having Paul in like a baseball cap and in, in an Enterprise uniform for the first time ever, I think. In this universe. And she goes down there. Kind of like, you know, has uh, sneaks up behind one of the Marines and is like, hey, what's going on, buddy? Put my hand on your shoulder. Oh, and when the other one tries to pull his gun, they, he just gets zapped by Reed. And they arm up. They get ready to charge the bridge. Some Enterprise guys uh, get real ballsy, decide to use that transporter. Beam down to the alien, the Zindi ship. Trip specifically, because Trip's the one that's going to end up st- just, all right, bang, <laughs> stun Archer. Trip's like, my bad. soul's already gone. I'm willing to, to do this. Uh, they launched the attack on the bridge. Unfortunately for Hayes, one of the Makos he has posted up there is that real shitty Mako that got her ass beat on uh, North Cowboy. Star. Yeah, yeah, the one that got beat up on tra- Planet Trigon. By some fucking Hayseeds. And mo- most unfortunately for Hayes, Hayes is a t- tactically aware man. He's got a good gun. You know, he's in charge. He's 
He's a respectful military officer, but he turned his back on the chiseled piece of whoop ass black obsidian that's at the helm. And that is Pain train coming for you, baby. One Travis Mayweather, man, like it, it they, they play it up too, right? Like Mayweather's like waiting for his moment and like Hayes is coming down the steps closer to him and they like cut to him and he's like leaning forward a little bit. And then, yeah, it, here it is. Just clothesline, take him right down. Like, it's a Mayweather not taking no shit. I, I I learned by getting my ass kicked by the Makos two episodes ago. Let's go, bitch. Spears him. Hayes looking the wrong way, man. Too bad your ass got sacked. I needed Hayes to have, not Hayes, I needed Mayweather to like have an explosive moment where like, turns out that I'll smile and the grin after he got fucking his face slammed into the ground. He was like, bitch, I didn't forget about that shit in the cargo hold. <laughs> Mako, motherfucker, you don't touch me. You don't touch me. This is Enterprise, bitch. I drive this ship. Let's go. <laughs> uh, lays him out. I, again, so Mayweather, did he get better as an actor? Did they write the character better? Or has it just been they give him just enough lines that it's not enough there where you're like, ooh, this is bad. And also, he's got some pretty good physical acting primarily beating asses where they've really found the sweet spot on this character where I want more. And when I start to get more, I regret that, (laughs) but they're not giving me so much that not only I regret it, that I'm actively motherfucking him. (laughs) Right. Cause like when he's in the mess hall talking with Reed, like I forget what he says, but I'm like, yeah, you're still not there, buddy. Like (laughs) you do not belong out of the timeout. They've put your character in. Mayweather is for sure. 100% you know, the worst acted character, you know, Anthony Montgomery can't act. I'm sorry. He just can't. He he got downgraded to soap operas after this. apparently, And that makes a lot of sense, but yeah, they just a little bit on top, like just some sprinkles of Mayweather is the right amount, particularly if he just gets to have that goofy, aw shucks grin on his face and he gets his shirt off and he whoops someone's ass. That is, that is like, these are the things we can use them for. So let's just do them. I need an ongoing theme, uh, an ongoing trope where alien invaders end up on the bridge and they just get too close to Mayweather. And he's like a dog chained to the dog house <laughs> and like the squirrel gets in there too close and he's just within striking distance and everybody's just like, oh, God, <laughs> like if, he, if they could just do this six or seven times over the course of the next season and a half where like. I don't know. Maybe it's Hoshi's console. There's like a good corner there. So he's got his whole technique down that when he tackles people, their head always connect with the corner of this console. And it's just like he's mastered giving people head wounds on the bridge because Archer keeps allowing himself to be the test dummy. Archer comes in and wants him to get good at it. Right. Like Archer has gotten into Admiral Forrest's disguise chest. (laughs) So he comes dressed like whatever the alien antagonist of the week, just so. Mayweather will tackle him and slam his head into the corner of a sharp console. Uh, They take him down. Trip gets on to the hatchery, pushes in, throws a flashbang, takes out the Makos who've just been standing guard outside of this, uh, this ridiculous scene inside. Trip gets in, finds out that the Zindi have started hatching. 
And now, had this been a Black Mirror episode or a Love, Death, and Robots, this could have been some really good space horror. Because if he would go in there and like find Archer, like, no, Trip, we must protect them. We must look after them. Meanwhile, like the young are eating him alive. Oh, yeah. You could have gone super dark here and it would have worked. Think of like Trip came in and like Archer has like crippled Porthos and is letting the fucking Zindi eat Porthos alive. Like you could have gone real dark here. If this thing had the budget to be space horror and it's like small hallways, things crawling on the ceiling, a real alien alien vibe. And then this tragic end for the brainwashed captain, like some real choice shit could have been happening here. Instead, it's a love love depth and robots episode. I think that's exactly correct. This would have been a good cautionary tale if it wasn't the captain of the Enterprise. This was like, you know, the USS Pops. That's a or good something. Netflix show, by the way. If people have never heard of Love, Death and Robots, go check it out. It's not too much investment. They're short. Yeah, they're There's basically some short points, but uh, man, because they're shorts, you, you don't linger with them too long and you get to move right. on to the next one. You know, that one that explores the jump gates. Oh, yeah, that's an old timer. That and is the, the best. It, God, what the hell is that called? The last ring of Saturn or something. It's about a. Like basically jump gates and what happens if the software goes down and there's like space math error. What happens to ships that don't go on target? So good. Uh, anyways, Archer's just all gooed up and there's bad CG bugs skittering around on him. He's like, trip, you shouldn't have a gun in here, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, whatever, Cap. Zap. They get back up to the ship. Flox is like, well, turns out these uh, insectoid boys got some sophisticated ability uh, to f- reverse imprint caregivers, which is kind of makes sense for an insectoid species. That the, That's the reason why they're all very obsessive about protecting their young, because it's part of how they have survived as a species to, to imprint this need um, makes logical sense. And it serves as a moment for Reed to unjustifiably for the most part gloat over Hayes, you know, like, Oh, you know, Hayes is reflective of that. He made a boo-boo and he's like, they don't teach you that at West point, that this is a thing, you know, I'm used to following orders, not, and not thinking that like my boss has been brain hijacked by a bunch of space insects and Reed, because he's a smarmy asshole is like, yep, guess you just gone done fucked up. You're stupid. Get back to work, peasant, marine peasant. I hate that part. Like, I do like that Reed, like, is the one that led the charge, took over the ship and, like, knew the space thing. That's, like, a good lane for him to be in. But this was the moment for him to actually come to Reed, uh, come to Hayes to say, hey, listen, actually, the only reason that we were successful here is because you trained all of us to be better at fighting. And I was expecting, yeah, I I was expecting that line for uh, Hayes to be like, uh, maybe you guys don't need that extra day of Monday training after all. Yeah. You've learned what we've had to teach you. He could have been like, yeah, you know, like we were effective at solving the problem because of you, Hayes. We just also have this knowledge that you don't have. And it could have been how they bridge the gap. And instead it's just read. We actually have three years of knowing our captain sucks and that this day was coming. (laughs) And Hayes is like very honest. He's like, you're, you're, he complained they didn't come to him and then admitted, I would have just, you know what? I would have just backed the captain. You're absolutely right. You know, 
Hey, justice for Hayes, man. He gets he gets dogged in this episode by Reed unjustifiably. So talking Hayes real quick, and we're a little over here, but uh, super A plus for him pulling the gun on the space corpses of the Zindi. Mm-hmm. If there's anybody on the crew that should know the mission is to take the Zindi out at all costs and who should really be tapping their foot and looking at their watches, it should have been the Jarhead Makos that are there to shoot bugs. So Hayes having this complete blind subservience to Archer and turning a blind eye to his craziness that they might be there for weeks potentially or releasing a subspace distress beacon which is what he wants hoshi to do by the way hoshi still exists in case you were wondering he has like um, three lines it's great yeah it's they're, they're the big plan is to get them up and running send off a distress call and then leave and everybody's like for all we know there's like a ton of zindi like the next solar system over this is a very dangerous mission we're supposed to be running dark stealthy here and this is the complete antithesis so he's being stupid at all that's ramrody and eye rolly but whatever overall a great example of what understanding your characters what understanding the central themes of star trek is and how to pervert those themes and use it against the main characters a uh, real master class episode in subverting star trek expectations the right way not you know the new trek way oh by the way since we spoke of spoke of it the decipher T- tcg is the actual source for Hayes's first name because it's never given in the show. He's just what Major Hayes. Jeremiah. Nice religious name. I, I like it. You know, Jeremiah Hayes sounds like a Marine's name if yeah. I ever heard one. Bible Belt. All right, man. Next going week. In. What is it? Season three, episode 18, Azadi Prime. The crew discovers the Zindi weapon and plans to launch a suicide mission to destroy it, with Archer insisting that he be at the helm. But when Archer is captured, he must convince Degra and the other Zindi leaders that this is a real spoily. I'm not reading any more of this. Yeah, actually, I, you shouldn't. There's a lot more there. Yeah. Yes, they finally get to the place with the thing next week. Uh-oh. We're bringing Here in we the, the dirty duo, Rick Berman and Brad Braga, coming back in featuring Manny Cota does executive co-producer Manny Cotto have what it takes to keep Berman and Bragg on a leash. I mean, you know, they did, they did the melting chocolate man episode with all of the sexy time. Who doesn't love sexy time? They did a good job. You know, they had one note and Manny Cotto wrote, wrote, wrote an episode around that one note that actually led us to say that was, that was pretty good. You know? Yeah. So, you know, maybe you can do it again. We'll see.